Sonic State Roscom. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 37. It is actually 37 this week. Um, last week I thought it was 37, but it was in fact 36, so there's been a slight mess up in the introductions. This introduction, however, will be perfect. Um, we're going live on the 15th of March, which is tomorrow, Thursday, recording today. And we've got with us Mr. Mark Tinley. How are you doing, Hello. Mark? Hello, not too bad. And Mr. Dave Spears. Hello. OG4Software.com. Yeah. I've okay, new URL, new week. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something like that. So 36, I was looking, because I'd, I'd gone all to all that trouble of researching the number 37 last week, which was wrong, when I finally came to actually put the final edit down, I, th- I realised I'd been talking about 36 at the beginning, which made me feel really stupid. We're doing number 36 this week. Number 36 is the atomic number of Krypton, which I thought was quite apt. Oh, was it? Yeah. And it's also the ASCII code for the dollar sign, which is not so apt. And on the piano, it's the number of black keys. Did you know that? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. That's quite nice. Anybody else got any 36s? Because we've done 37, obviously. Well, 36 is uh, the kick drum in general MIDI. Ah, that's very true. Um, but 36 was also my bag tag number on tour. And the reason I had 36 was because I had a bit of an obsession with a particular type of Hebrew numerology. And what you do in Hebrew numerology is you uh, read words and sentences as numbers, so you assign each letter a numerical value. Right. And then, um, so, but in this particular kind of Hebrew numerology that I was into, um, for the Hebrew alphabet, they all had a, a number assigned to them, apart from nine, which was considered to be the number of God. And the reason it's the number of God is because it can't be broken. Ah. Um and what you do is you break down numbers by summing them. Um, so, for example, if you took 174 and multiplied it by 9, you'd get 1,566. Okay. If you add 1 plus 5 plus 6 plus 6 together, you get 18. And if you add 1 and 8 together, you get 9. So whatever you multiply by 9 can't be destroyed in, in this particular way of doing things because it's always going to add back up to 9. And I was born on March the 18th, which is on Sunday. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday coming <laughs> up, Mark. Um, so one of the band had the number nine as a bag tag. Um, one of the managers had number 18. I think someone else in the crew had number 27. And after much argument, I was assigned 34 and utterly refused to have it because I, it had to add up to nine. So I made them give me 36, which completely messed up their tour manager's itiner- itinerary and everything. And right, and hold on, and was... you, you, so isn't that, the, isn't that for the, the star turn supposed to be difficult and awkward? <laughs> yes. They okay. didn't like it, they were really... But once really you got hand- that over and done with, everything was fine? No. Oh. <laughs> because the, the kind of the obsession, as it were, went for hotel room numbers as well. So every time we booked into a hotel, I used to argue about the room number. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. And I used to I used to make them change it to things like, you know, 522, so that it, it added up to nine. <laughs> what a nightmare. I know. <laughs> but I, I'm going to tell you a big secret now, which I don't think too many people know, and that is that this obsession with the number nine went for values in sequences, values for mixing tempos of songs I was writing or tempos of songs I was working on, everything inadvertently 
or and we're not inadverting everything, everything deliberately ended up back up at a divisible of nine so someone would go can you turn that kick drum up a bit and I'd turn it up in logic and it'd go to like maybe 40 or something and I'd think ooh that's not that's not a nine number it's either going to have to be 36 or 45 so it would end up too loud or too quiet and everyone would go did you turn that kick drum up and I'd be like yeah 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 it's, and I'd have to kind of try and find some way of getting it back to a nine number my god I didn't realise I opened such a can of worms I'm, that, that, I, that's astonishing that's so brilliant. do you still do this at all or is it just kind of something that was a passing phase it's like your blue phase I, but a nine uh, phase I can admit to still doing it for tempos of songs that I write I kind of nudge them towards 81 or 90 or 99 or 108 or if I'm feeling brave 126 or 135 maybe <laughs> I mean I know them all off by heart this is bad isn't it <laughs> I mean, you must have been a nightmare when you when you were storing patches in, um, say, a Jupiter Eight, because um, that only has banks of eight, doesn't it? I didn't, I didn't worry about that for some reason. Actually, oh, you that's dropped a the very ball. good point. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I can I can tell you that um, there's thirty six gallons of beer in a barrel. Ah, have you got the same Wikipedia page as I have? Ah, bugger! <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was very appropriate for me. Thirty six gallons, which is about one hundred sixty three point seven liters. Well, there we go. I think we've done number 36 and numbers in general, <laughs> but thanks very much for that, Mark. That's quite fascinating. And uh, <laughs> I, I'll have to look at all of, we'll have to look at all of your old tracks and all of the old tracks that you've worked on just to figure out just how deep that obsession went. <laughs> um, it did go pretty deep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the first topic I was going to look at this week um, was um, handheld recorders. I mean, it was kind of apt because we got this Zoom H4, which I recorded the podcast on last week, and it worked out fine, actually. I'm doing it again this week. And it just seemed to me that everybody seems to be going for them again. Because um, I remember back in the day, it used to be, uh, you know, m mini DATs, and I had all those things. I had a DA7, and I had one of those TCD7s, the little Sony Datman and things. And now they seem to be coming back into fashion. You've got the Ederol R09, which is really sweet. That's about the size of a mobile phone. You've got this Korg um, MR1, which is the 1-bit recorder. You've got the uh, Microtrack, which obviously we know about... Um, or I know about because I dropped mine in a puddle a few weeks ago. And um, we got the Boss Micro BR, which is kind of a little studio in a box. I mean, is, is that something that... Why Why do we need them? Why are we kind of getting getting off on this again? Gadgets. I, um, I need one. And you know that I mentioned it's my birthday on Sunday. This is highest on my birthday list. And having looked at this page and gone through all of these, I think that the Zoom H4 looks like the one for me. Ah, right. And, well, that's good. I mean, and just so I mean, a I, happy coincidence, because that's the one we've got in review. We're going to yeah. do a review about it a bit later but on. But that is also, a, you know, that's a mini studio as well, don't you? Four-track yeah. recorder. Well, you can do overdub things built into it. I couldn't find those yet. It says it can emulate the U87 and various, I can't remember what the other condenser mics that it will emulate are as well. So you could use it for vocals. Hmm. But it has to be, it has to be the one to go for, in my opinion. I mean, I don't know if my opinion counts for too much but shame it's not a zoom h9 really isn't it absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um well then theoretically i should go for the eddie roll but i don't like the look of it don't you I, they're really sweet actually they're about the size of a mobile phone and they are very you know they're really good they're, they're more sort of thing that perhaps you wouldn't use with a mic but you'd use because you, it's got a stereo mic built in and you just use it for reportage because it's so it's so teeny and, um, you know, it's got a one-button record function, and it's kind of quite, they are quite nice. I mean, the reason I didn't go for it for, for show stuff is, is uh, you know, if you plug a kind of um, quarter-inch, pair of quarter-inch jacks into it, 
that'll actually probably be heavier than the unit itself. So <laughs> it sort of might slide off whatever surface you've got on. The Zoom H4 is a bit more chunky and feels a little more kind of robust for the sort of thing that we'd use. And it's got those two Nortric connectors in it, or those combi connectors. Uh, on their website, it also says that the Zoom H4 is an audio interface. So yeah, you can plug I've tried it into that. your Mac. Yeah, that will work. And then they give you Cubase as well, a, a light version of Cubase. And the Boss, the Boss one sort of looks like a Boss drum machine to me. The Boss one's yeah. really cool. We did a video of that um, a couple of shows back, and it was really impressive. I mean, it just does so much. It's got kind of backing tracks, drum machine, and lots of Cosm stuff in it as well. That's really impressive. That's more, probably more the thing to go for if you were sort of a guitarist and just doing some, want to do some demos or play along with some MP3s and stuff. That was really cool. Uh, but of course, and of course, the um, there's the Korg MR1, which looks so it's just daft. Well, it's a one-bit recorder. I mean, it's future-proof. It's, it, ah, it's... Oh, okay. I didn't notice that. About so, it. I, I mean, mean that's the fact what... it said it had a hard disk in it made me think, well, I'm going to wander around with that thing and I'm going to drop it and it's going to break. Well, yes, there's, I suppose that's a possibility. But, it's yeah, it's a one-bit recorder and it re operates at 2.8 megahertz. So you just record... Okay, I'll take it back then. It's not You can record and you downsample to whatever your destination, um, you know. So it's really good for mastering or maybe uh, field recording or, you know, ambient, ambient um, noise recording. Um, Dave, have you got any handy mobile recorders, or are you kind of thinking about getting one? Uh, I've still got the old Sony, the DAT. What, um, the TCD? Yeah, and I've also got, oh, blimey, probably the first Casio thing, portable thing, the DA1. DA1. Ooh, yeah, I had, one of, I had one of those. They're really cool. I had a DA7. Quite strange, sort of 12-bit thing. Um, and, uh, no, um, the main thing I use at the minute is the iPod. <laughs> oh, have you got a little recorder for it? Yeah, yeah, I bought one of those um, after NAM, and that's that's actually pretty good. But I do like this Sony, man. I love the look of this. The Sony I mean, looks actually, gorgeous. It does look yeah. gorgeous, but I think um, the only thing about it is, yeah, it's it's expensive. I think there are certain issues with it that don't quite, you know, make it as brilliant as uh, as it first looks. What about format, though? Because I actually I bought a Sony mini disc for doing field recordings with and it said it recorded a uh, 16-bit stereo wav and i thought yeah that will do for what i want to record it can be a data disc as well so you can store data on it so stupidly i thought i buy this thing i record my wav files onto it i plug it into the computer drag drop my wav files into my audio editor and you know off you go i'll be able to go and do um you know the the like the motorcycle podcast I did, and, and go and interview people, etc., etc., and it will work really well for that. And of course, it doesn't. You plug it into the computer as a data disk, and it comes up with all these weird formats which you can't see. And you have to go through the Sonic Stage software, and uh, there's no equivalent for the Mac at all. So I either have to borrow the girlfriend's PC or run it in virtual Windows, and it just takes days to get this stuff out of it and it's oh, just a, a complete waste of time oh that's a bit annoying no well, it's I not mean, but that's it's funny. not a track it's raw but it's their version of raw so let's move swiftly on then i think we covered that but uh, yeah a whole bunch of handheld recorders and um like i say i'm using the zoom h4 and mark has a hankering for one so i hope you do get one for your birthday and so do i and it just struck me that um you know, one of the things that seems to be being built into Vista or certain editions of Vista and also into, into the latest, the, the, the new versions of OS X, forthcoming, you know, coming soon, whenever, are some sort of backup system. I mean, and I wonder, because, you know, we're all, or, or have all worked in studios and, and, and sort of pro audio applications where you're generating huge amounts of data 
And I just wondered what your kind of approach to backup was and how you, you know, whether you had one or whether, you know, whether you'd been bitten on the, the arse more than once. Uh, backup, backup and backup, yeah. No, I mean, I keep every stage of everything we do, so I can always revert back if uh, something I think isn't right. Uh, actually, nine times out of ten, it'll just be DVDs and DVDs and DVDs. I did get caught years ago. I did a CD with Bill Bruford, and that was a massive task. It took about a year to complete. And it was on the old Power Mac 7100, which had a problem with SCSI ID5. So if ever you put a hard drive on that, you'd lose it. And uh, I think we had to have some data recovery. I've got a feeling that was two or three times before that was actually found out. That was a nightmare, a complete nightmare, very expensive. It is, no- it is awful, isn't it? I mean, and, you know, there there have always been these data recovery companies about. Uh, it seems to me they're much more geared around, you know, getting doc- Word documents and spreadsheets back rather than audio and large files. Because um, I had a couple of things, you know, where, uh, like, for instance, one one thing was losing a whole load of Akai samples and 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 sounds and like, you know, the whole like library, and just wanting to get that back and just finding anybody who'd know anything about pattern matching or you know trying to get that data off it. I mean, in the end, I just had to forget it, and it was it was yeah. a real shame. Yeah, horrible. Uh, backing up on DVDs though, it just seems it's life's a bit short because it takes bloody ages to. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. To, to burn I mean, we DVDs. had something. We had something very recently. Um. You know, when you record a track into Logic and you, I think when you've filled up the time, if you want to record another track while the thing's sort of drawing the waveform, as it were. Right. You can, what I do is, I was essentially recording um, that GX1 up at Gordon Reed's place and time was of the essence. So I'd left it, I'd left it running. We've recorded all the notes and everything. And then what I do is just remove that track from the environment page and, um, when you do that, it gives you the option to keep the track or delete it. Right. And ac- I accidentally pressed delete. Oh, no. Ouch. And that was a total nightmare. That was about four hours' work. And um, I managed to recover a lot of it. Actually, I can't remember the little... It was just a little Mac software recovery thing, hard hard drive recovery tool. I think it was like 99 bucks. Um, but actually... Oh, it's called Data Rescue. And... Um, but actually, in the end, it was just easier and quicker just to do it all again. But the, but Logic doesn't simply move it to the trash view to decide whether you want to delete it later. It's gone, actually completely gone. And I tried a couple of things like that, couldn't get it back. I mean, I suppose I don't tend to back up things at all, and especially if I'm working with um, Nick from Duran Duran because he wants to work. He doesn't want me to sit there and back things up. So he'll push and push and push and push me to work, 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 work. And I'll say, no, 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 we've got to stop and back this up. Let's go home an hour early and back this up. And he'll just say, no, do it tomorrow or whatever. But right. it, then it just never gets done. And um, we lost a whole song, or I lost a whole song. And it was entirely my fault. And I'll tell you why and how it happened. Um, we were working in Pro Tools. We had a vocalist in. We were working fast. Um, wanted to get these vocals recorded. So instead of trying to find space on the drive that I was working on, plugged another drive into the computer and got Pro Tools to record her vocal part onto a, a second drive. Yeah. So the way Pro Tools, or the version of Pro Tools I was using at the time, manages that is it, it makes another folder with exactly the same name on the other drive, right? Unlike a PC, which when you drag one folder on top of the other one, 
which would merge the Mac overrides. And if you overwrite a folder with a folder of the same name, everything goes and disappears Ooh. forever. I dragged her vocal folder on top of the song folder to sort of merge them because I've been using the PC for quite a long time before that or quite a lot and just didn't really think because I was really tired and bosh, song gone. Sent it, sent it for data recovery and it cost £400 to get back a whole load of meaningless nonsense. No audio came back at all. It hasn't happened to me to, to any great degree subsequently, but I mean, because I do back up now. I mean, I just try and kind of do as much possible. And I, I, the, one of the ways I do it is just, um, you know, just get a bloody great big drive and every, every once in a while, I mean, like my, my MacBook, I'll just synchronize it to, a, to another drive so I could boot off that if I absolutely had to. And I know that I've got, you know, last week a complete snapshot of my system as is. But in terms of generating loads and loads of data, what I used to do when I was working, um, with a band who recording an album is we had two machines and we got a gigabit network in the place. So I just kind of say, I wrote a script that just says, go over to that machine, find out whether or not there's any new files in it and bring them over to this machine. So there's just another, a working directory, you know, a, a kind of a, a growing working directory. So every time sort of more files got written to it, it would just get chucked in, you know, copied every morning over the network. I mean, as with all these things, it's only any of a good if, Somebody doesn't go, oh, I haven't got quite enough space, and they start recording in really bizarre locations, and then you've got to find them all and consolidate, and it's a, it's a real nightmare when people sort of move out of a, a re regime, because backups will only work, really, if you've got a kind of fairly strict regime as to where you put the documents in the first place. But I mean, retrospect is quite good, and we used to back everything up to um, AIT2, which is a 50 gigabyte. Yeah, we got that tape. as well. Um, but I mean, that works quite well. It ended up that those tapes are so expensive that you may as well just buy another hard drive and take a copy of the hard drive. And the moral of the t the moral of the tale is really, um, you know, this sort of thing has to happen to you at least once for you to actually take backing up seriously. So, uh, folks, if you're out there listening and you don't back up, I think after you've listened to this podcast, you should go and buy yourself a disc and back your stuff up because you'll know that you'll need it one day. And all that sort of, oh, yeah, another time, another time. It's worth spending half a day just figuring out what works best for you and just getting on with it, because otherwise you'll be bitten hard one day. The new Mose Synthesizer Range. From Yamaha, the affordable, portable, lightweight, motive ES-based workstation with authentic sounds and drum kits, extensive onboard effects, phrase factory sequencing, USB, and multi-zone, MIDI, seamless integration with all DAW, software, virtual synths, and PST applications. For a full spec, check out www.yamahasynth.com. Total recall, total integration, total control. Mose Synthesizer Range. Yamaha. That was another ad from our sponsors, uh, Yamaha UK. We're very pleased to have them aboard, and if you want to help us show them appreciation, just click on the links mentioned in the ad. For those of you who haven't seen it yet, uh, we've we we went to visit uh, a guy called Jack Watson who lives uh, who, who's got a store on Sunset um, called Future Music, and um, no no relation to the UK publisher Future Publishing. Um, and he's kind of got it's like a treasure trove, Aladdin's cave of kind of weird and uh, collectible electronica and guitars and effects and all sorts of things. And we popped in to see him on the Monday morning after NAM. And uh, just over the last couple of weeks, I put up a couple of um, um, episodes of that tour. It's now it's now finished now. We've done everything with it. But um, so he had some great stuff in there, didn't he, Dave? I was blown away, absolutely blown away. In fact, I got straight on uh, iChat to Chris and just went, check this out. I think we didn't do any work for about an hour. <laughs> we were just going, wow, 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 that. 
ARP Odyssey was uh, something else. Yeah, there's an ARP Odyssey that, um, well, there's two of them kind of put together with a piano hinge, as far as I could tell, um, into some kind of strange hybrid instrument with uh, and with a with a Moog. Um, um, yeah, the ribbon, ribbon and, yeah. and and a mod wheel, and it's just yeah, Jack's. Jack's a great guy as well. He knows he's got a really good eye for a piece, and he just seems to know everything about the history of the stuff. So he's a, a fabulous raconteur. So you always get some great information out of him. Um, but I thought some... his Optigan info was brilliant. Dave, how would you describe an Optigan? Um, blimey, it was well. It was made by Mattel. That should give most of it away. Um, but it's those kind of clear plasticky acetate um, records that you put in, and it reads it via a optical reader and uh, you get all these kind of cheesy rhythms and even cheesier lead sounds out of it yeah and the the the, the kind of playback mechanism is incredibly delicate and the discs oh. are incredibly delicate as well and um jack has kind of well seems to collect the the uh, the discs and there's a, a whole bunch of them aren't there which are yeah i mean really most of the value into the Optigan, and I think he alluded to that in, in the in the piece you know most of the value and any Optigan is in the discs they're, some of those are incredibly rare. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want to find out a little bit more about the innards of an Optigan, I, I thoroughly recommend you watch this Future Music Store thing. But he's got some, he's got a load of, he's a big fan of the uh, Yamaha organs uh, mm. and uh, SY stuff. And, you know, it's it, it's great. It's really good fun. Every time we go there, I think we should make sure we go and see, we should go and see him. And we're hoping that Jack will be posting us a few more kind of things over the wires because we'd like to get him involved on a regular basis because he's just generally a, a font of information he didn't know one thing about the yc organs which of course um was that it was responsible for the crazy horses sound as far as i was aware. oh the osmonds oh, yeah. used it oh. yeah with that ribbon controller fantastic fantastic did, did this octagon thing does it work like one of those fisher price record players for kids with bumps on the discs that trigger things mechanical things no it's an optical it's like a i guess it's a bit like a film an old um sort of cellulose film stock you know with an optical soundtrack but it's like a record is it round though yes it's round and it and it spins um but you can do really cool things you can take it out of the optical you can turn it over so it plays backwards you can actually if if you're pretty careful you can put two in at once so when you trigger um weird when you trigger it from the keys, you get all sorts of mayhem going on. Wow, it's brilliant, that absolutely good. brilliant. So what's but it mean- constantly rotates, you see, it constantly runs. So there's a little um, there's a little light <coughs> on the front panel that on the downbeat, it'll flash red. And actually, when you look at the record, um, it, there's just a little bit of red over, you know, there's like four quadrants, and one of them is red, and that is your downbeat. So <laughs> that'll flash, and then you, and you know when to push the button appropriately at that moment. Otherwise, you know, you'll come in sort of halfway through a bar or something. Oh, brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh, well, that sounds very good. Of course, um, the Optigan and the Mellotron are sort of similar similar concepts in the fact that they're kind of, they're replay systems. Um, in fact, the uh, Mellotron is featured in our Top 20 Synths this week, which went live um, today. Today's Wednesday, so it went live yesterday. Yeah, um, I saw it this morning. And, um, yes, so if you want to see some, opt- uh, not Optigan, but Mellotron stuff and some more funky and crazy synth nonsense um check out top 20 since episode three which is uh chart positions 12 13 and 14 i believe did you see the uh mfb synths have you ever come across those mm. yeah matrix synth has one, once again come up with a collection of videos um 
He seems to find some of the best stuff, um, a great source of topics for our discussion. And he's got a collection of three um, sort of MFB synth and synth 2 light jams. And some of the sounds sort of is quite, you know, it looks like it's quite a handy little synth. It sounded all right over the, on the video. It sounded quite impressive. Yeah, very tweakable. Lots of tweaking going on. Yes. But, um, I mean, they're not, you know, I think the MFB Synth 2, which is a 3 oscillator, 2 LFO, um, let's have a look, 2 LFO, what's it got? It's got 3 VCOs, uh, audio in, internal mixer, uh, VC, uh, a low-pass VCF, VCA, 2 LFOs, yep, uh, and 2 envelopes, MIDI controller, and it's got a 32-step sequencer with 24 sequences. It's 450 euros, which is... I don't know what that'd be in dollars. It'd probably be a bit more than that because of the import and, you know, because they're, they're German, I believe. But it doesn't seem half bad for a, for a, a three-oscillator synth. It's like a little baby mini-mode, isn't it, really? People have been saying it's kind of got those kind of attributes. I mean, obviously, it's not going to sound exactly like a Moog, but it gives you the, a similar architecture. I do like the look of these, yeah. Yeah, I kind I of fancy... So. They're, they're, they're about the, they look like the size of a, a sort of um, DVD case or video case. When, whenever we go to Mesa, we go and see the, uh, the analog super booth. And he's, he, um, Andreas uh, from Schneider's Buero, um, who's a big German, uh, analog kind of distributor. He, he does a lot of their stuff. So we'll, we'll just pay them a bit more attention when we go past next time. Cause, um, I'd like to find out a bit more of their stuff. And that was very interesting. Sonic state. As in, essentially a new, uh, much larger capacity megapixel, eight megapixel sensor that we're going to start seeing in all the kind of consumer, uh, digital cameras. And it just reminded me of the time when, you know, I used to use a digital camera for, for total recall before I had, you know, everything was inside the computer and I'd take photos of my desk so I could get all the settings right for, you know, recalls. And before that it was a Polaroid. And, um, it just reminded me of the time, you know, this is all well and good, but, um, those poor tape ops are still, you know, with all this outboard, they still have to make all those notes. And, or do you think they just use digital cameras? I suppose with an 8 megapixel one, you could stand right back and just take a shot of the whole rack. And a lot of, you'd still, you'd just be able to zoom in. You'd be able to see pretty much all the, the, the positions of all the knobs and switches with one of those. Blimey, they don't know they're born these days, do they? No, <laughs> not easy. I just remember once, um, uh, I was at Woolhall uh, on a very stormy night, which is in Beckington, just outside Bath. It was used to be Tears of Fear Studio. And um, uh, we'd done a mix. There was a guy called, a producer there called Ian Stanley. He was mixing one of the tracks for an album uh, that I put out. Uh, and we'd one, done one for him. It was like a, a trade-off thing. And I turned up because I kind of liked hanging around in the studio. And he was, he was kind of working away. And he had all, he had a net, they had an SSL. I forget which one it was, but it had total recall. But then all the outboard and um, the power tripped and it just went down right in the middle of kind of, you know, one of the last few run-throughs before he was going to put it down to, to that or half inch or whatever. And it was just like, he just freaked out. And the poor tape op, uh, who was in the middle of doing all the, you know, doing the notes and stuff, the problem was is when you're using those things like AMS and uh, the, all the digital gear, obviously none of that had been written down and it didn't have a kind of, that old digital gear doesn't remember where it was when it was last powered down. So it lost all of the reverb settings, all of the delay settings, all of that stuff. And it was just, it, it was like a sort of really ghastly moment. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Not much you can do about that with an 8-megapixel camera, though, I suppose, because, I mean, you're not going to see all of the the, uh, uh, the the parameters displayed there, are you? But, oh, dear. I mean, it was... Doesn't it was... everyone make some Pro Tools now, anyway? Well, you can understand why they might. But, no, I mean, because... <laughs> 
because uh, I mean, like, when we went, we went. Uh, I went up to Olympic uh, a couple of years ago and attended a, a mix, and um, you know, we had all our stuff running out of Logic, and he, the, the guy who was mixing it, Spike Stent, he had a a seventy two output Motu system running into his SSL, so he'd just break out stuff that he wanted to process with all his outboard uh, into another input of the SSL, but that would be you know using all the SSL processing but also you know whatever the outboard he had lying around in the studio which in a lot of instances would have been old digital gear or you know really juicy analog gear or whatever so yeah. i mean it still happens and it's still it's still kind of you know something that you you still need to make mix notes and what have you so to do a recall i mean he's prides himself he reckons he can recall a track in uh 40 minutes or an hour or something you know it doesn't take long no. at all because uh, he nails it very very well but um it still kind of must be a concern because I mean a big major a major studio for all its advantages of you know having great discrete uh, components and and what have you has that disadvantage that a recall is actually quite um, a hassle. Yes, God, that, uh, God, I've just had flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've seen a Canon 10 megapixel camera for about 150 quid. Really? Blimey. Yeah, on I, it was on eBay and it was a. An English price of 150 pounds, and I tell you why I saw, I saw it just recently because I saw um, this mechanism that you stick the camera on its end, and you can take a panoramic photograph with one shot, and it's like a sort of a crystal ball that sits on the end of the camera. You have the camera pointing upwards, press the button, and it takes you know 360 degree panoramic to one frame of the camera. But they were saying they didn't recommend you did it with anything less than a 10 megapixel camera, and then they recommended this Canon one, which I went to look at. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. And it wasn't an SLR camera either, I don't think. I think it was just a you know, cheap uh, camera that you could screw various different Canon lenses on the front of. Oh, well, yeah, no, I must have thought, I, I, thought, I didn't think 8 megapixel was particularly high, but uh, maybe it's just it's going to be sort of dropping down to the real low that will be the kind of starting point for a lot of cameras, 8 megapixels, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, no, I was, I was a bit confused by this, because I've got the 350D SLR thing, and that, I think that's 8 already, and I think the 400's 10. Oh, maybe you're right, maybe you're right. Um, it's kind of... I didn't really bother reading the news. It just kind of triggered a triggered a series of memories, really, to uh, um, more about, you know, what about Total Recall and having to having to recall mixes. SonicState.com Lack of hardware samplers, does anyone want to bother with that? Does that have any... Because any, it, it does for me, and I kind of... I'm trying to figure out what to do, because the, the band that I, I put the, you know, the, the backline together for, they use hardware samplers, and I don't know how the hell I'm going to manage to translate all of their programs and outputs and effects and stuff that happen in the archives into something else. Put them in a Roland V-Synth. It's not enough. What, why is it not enough? There's not enough. Well, because I, I don't want to have to reprogram it all. I want to translate it as much as possible. Oh, I see what you mean, right. I don't think there is anything. That's the thing. I mean, I don't know of any current model of hardware sampler that's not MPC-based. Maybe I'm wrong. But so that's all really these, interesting. So yeah. all these bands that, you know, because there's still a reticence to, for people to use computers live. You know, mm. you've got all these kind of old pro... Uh, keyboard techs and what have you, and they they are not necessarily comfortable with running live rigs. Not not all the time, but I mean sometimes if you 
say if you haven't got the sort of tour support that you need to be able to run like a pair of redundant Macs and, you know, two, two Pro Tools rigs and everything kind of with redundancy, you know, if you want to just kind of run a hardware sample and not have to worry about getting into kind of maintaining computers, there's not very many routes you can go down. If any, I would say that you can buy off the shelf now. There are still bands that need to run hardware samplers and, um, you know, have got a great deal of programming time and library and you know the whole set's programmed into these hardware samplers and they're dropping off you know they're dropping out the racks and various bits falling off them and the hard drives are going the scuzzy cards are going the effect and you just can't get replacements and i don't know what what we're going to do about it what are we going to do <laughs> so are, are there any hardware samplers i don't know i can't i mean there are the mpc there's the mpc thousand and the mpc um 500 but I don't Are you know. saying that Emu have stopped making samplers then? Like yeah. they're three thousand, four thousand. I don't 5, think any of those are in production that. anymore. I could are be they wrong, not? but I'm pretty sure none of them are. I mean, the, the idea of like using a computer <coughs> for for replacing a sampler. I mean, that, what could you use? You'd use a PowerBook, maybe an Apple PowerBook. Well, I was, a Mac Mini probably. I'd use. Made that... in China. Made yeah. in China. Put it in the back of a truck, which is going to bounce along some road in America, and get shaken to bits, you get to the next show, it's not going to work, is it? I don't know. It's just not going to work. They're just computers fall to bits far too quickly. I mean, the archives were pretty robust. I threw one out of a fourth-story window once, and it pretty much survived. (laughs) (laughs) What, you you were looking for a TV, but all you had to hand was an archive sampler? Yeah. (laughs) I threw an EPS out at the same time, and that disintegrated into shards of plastic in all directions. It's a long story, but there you go. I suppose there's the, what about the Muse Research uh, the, uh, Receptor, maybe, because that is a kind of acceptable face of touring computing, because it's, it's, desi- you know, it's designed to go in a rack and presumably is built to sort of fairly rugged standards and runs various sample sampler-type plugins and instruments. I mean, you know, Dave, you make reproductions of software, electronic musical instruments. Do you think there's perhaps a market for, you know, a, a, a software emulation of an actual sampler. So you can say, I've got, here's an S5000, it'll do everything you want, we've got all the algorithms, we've got all the effects algorithms, you know, you j- however many outputs you need, you know, you just plug the sound card, you know, put the sound card in that you you want, and it'll give you that. Do you think there's any mileage? Because presumably all this stuff must have been processed, um, programmed in DSP anyway. It's not like, it shouldn't be that hard, should it? It's funny, we talked about a kind of Akai clone a while ago, purely because of the operating system. You know, any, everybody understood the uh, the architecture, the whole key group thing. When it was just like, you know, if you wanted to work in music, that was the one piece of kit that you had to understand. Um, we did look at it, but yeah, it's no, really all these... they pro- changed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really all the formats that kind of threw us a little bit, because it was like, you know, really what it needed was some kind of universal digital format that you could take this stuff and translate it to, and it would be flawless. Um, sadly, we didn't get any further than that. Well, you, yeah, okay, so that brings me on to another thing. I'm actually a beta tester for a piece of software called Translator. Have you seen that? That chicken, chicken system. systems. Chicken systems, yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, I did try that with Akai, but um, it, it, they didn't have the modules ready when I got it. I have actually, there's a disk. I just found it on the floor. So I'm just looking at it now, but I never... I'm, I'm not sure that they've got the modules ready now, actually. And this was a couple I mean, of years was, ago. Yeah, I wanted to read EPS CD-ROMs, and I know that, because I've got a massive EPS library, which I can't use for anything at the moment, but um, I know that it, their software will read the floppy disks, but not the CD-ROMs. Yeah. 
there's always something in there I suppose really it's a it's a small market really it's not it's a quite a specialist requirement but it is a real fag reprogramming programming a whole live set into a new sampler so yeah I need a software emulation of an S5000 or 6000 that will just sit as a standalone and address as many outputs as you want and be totally robust please bulletproof yeah well, the, 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 the the, maybe somebody it... could write something that would work on the receptor because you know that is a robust piece of hardware, and people are a lot of Tory musicians are using that. So that's why I was wondering whether there's you know there's there's room for a plug-in or something that could just just work, please. Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting idea. Um, so I, I suppose our last item, which I really liked, which was the. Uh, the, the bonkers top five future technology. Now, there was a couple of things on here um, that were just amazing. This was on techblog.com, uh, and it's just a collection. I'm not, I think you vote. There's five technologies with video demonstrations of most of them, and uh, there are a couple that really kind of blew my mind, and, and one was the, the invisibility cloak. I mean, do you think that was a joke, or do you think it was real? It was essentially some sort of coating that was put on something, and you could kind of wear it or wrap it around a shape. And the, the, one of the demos was a bloke standing in front of a sign, and he put this ball in front of his head, and you could still read the writing behind the ball across across it. It was just mental. And I, do you think that's some kind of old April Fool's gag that somebody's found and, and, and thinks it's real? Or is it actually real? Possible? They've got that cloaking device for cars, haven't they, where they stick LCDs down the side of cars and then cameras on the other side. And they were developing it... Well, they were developing it for the British forces for tanks, and I saw them testing it on an old Morris Minor. That, like, it might be a similar sort of technology, really. So I think it pr- probably is possible. It was amazing. And then there's another picture of a, a Japanese lady wearing what looks like a kind of cycling raincoat and standing in the middle of the street, and you can sort of see the people behind her through her. I mean, it looks like one of those things that would be really easy to fake. And I mm. wonder whether we've been had. <laughs> but mm. Photoshop, yeah. Yeah, what a great idea. They're, I mean, basically, they're saying that they've got to come up with something that kind of bends the light, that forces the light to kind of run around it on certain frequencies. So you, it, it works. Uh, well, I don't know how that works, but it sounds like sort of a plausible boffin-type uh, explanation, but I wonder if it really is. However, the other one was the uh, HAL 5 robot suit. What about that one? Any, I like that, yeah. You like yeah, that? That's cool. Yeah. That's kind of like an exoskeleton that you can just wear, and um, it gives you strength of up to ten times your actual weight. And there's a, cup, there's a, there's a video um, of it, and there's this, they've, they've obviously purposely chosen a very skinny-looking bloke to wear it, and he's sort <laughs> of like walking around, and they give him five or six bags of rice, very, very heavy bags of rice, like 60 kilograms of rice or something like that. Yeah. And he's just, you know, totally fine with it. And then they give it to the director, who's saying, I don't believe this, and he kind of collapses under the weight of them. Um, but this guy seems to be quite a celebrity in the States. I don't know what his name is. Uh, I didn't do enough research. But um, it's well worth a visit. Um, anything else on there, Mark, that kind of took your fancy? Quite like the dish, dish maker. About the size of a dishwasher, and rather than wash up, you just basically get these acrylic things, and you say, right, I need four four bowls and four plates, and it makes them for you. Not very ecologically sound, is it? But I love the look of it. It looks it looks like it should make some fantastic noise, actually. And it's made out... Is it made out of brass? No. Well, it looks like aluminium and brass. Yeah. Richard Evans would like it, then, wouldn't he? I think he probably would, yeah. If it had a bit of... <laughs> it needs a bit of uh, mahogany in it as well, and that would be fine. 
Well, I think we've just about exhausted the list this week. Um, uh, thanks for hanging in there with me, guys. There's only three, three, three participants this week. Um, some of our regulars uh, were working, had, had better things to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we've got a new contributor, hopefully, next week, a guy called PJ uh, Tracy, who's going to be joining us uh, from the States. He's in Minneapolis, and he's going to be... He's, he's a sort of uh, p- a composer who works exclusively on the PC, so hopefully bringing a bit more... PC-centric balance to the show. So, uh, well, that's it for this week. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much, Mark Tinley. Cheers. Thank you very much. Oh, that was bloody awful. Oh, don't worry. I'll give you another go just after Dave. And also, Dave, thank you for your time. Thank you. And Mark Tinley, thank you. You can have another go. Okay, cheers. Thanks very much. That was Very enjoyable. That was fine, see? (laughs) Didn't hurt at all. (laughs) Sonic. Statesman. What's wrong?